Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Today, our speaker is Carol Newhouse. Carol has studied insight meditation for over 20 years and has been teaching for 10. Her root teacher is Ruth Dennison, who was empowered by the great meditation master Wu Ba Kin of Burma. And she is the guiding teacher of the lesbian Buddhist Sangha in Berkeley. Please welcome Carol. Larry. Larry and I go way back. I haven't seen you for a while. Um, it's just so much fun to open my eyes and see some people that I've known for a long time and, of course, new people. The Lesbian Buddhist Sangha probably started shortly after GBF, I think. And um, even though we don't have a relationship, you know, we don't do stuff together. The only relationship is really me, I think, right now coming over here. It's a great relationship. And um, I talk about you guys a lot over there. And um, I think sometimes if we were in the same town, there might be more of a relationship. But that bridge does it, you know. Um, but I do think of you as a brother sangha or as, as a sister sangha. And the minute I walk in here, I feel that way. There's something about the way you do things, you're, the way you are with each other. The events you have, it's just very similar. So it's just interesting to me in that sense that even after all these years, it, it's that way. So thank you for having me back. And because I feel comfortable here particularly, I tend to talk a little more personally 
and talk about what's up for me or what my practice is going through now, or even if you don't know that, that's usually what I'm talking about. So I try to choose the topics, and that's what I do with a lesbian song anyway, about what's important, what's going on for me. And, and Buddhism, as you know, and the Dharma is so vast that there's always a hook somewhere that I can, can get back into it. And uh, yeah, I've been practicing for more than 20 years now. We're going to have to update that. <laughs> Um, maybe I'd like to leave it where it is. <laughs> um, so, I don't know if they sent an announcement out or not this time. I wasn't on email very much about what I was going to talk about. Um, but I thought I'd talk about the Dharma and what I call its connection or potential connection or relationship to, for lack of a better word, psychic awareness. Or a softer way of putting that would be intuitive knowing. Uh, in order to do that, I'm going to talk a little bit about my background, so you'll see why that's important to me. Um, then I'm going to try to relate it directly to some of the teachings that some of you may be familiar with. And then I'm going to try to have time for a small exercise where I'll combine um, with a traditional kind of sitting practice a bit with what you might consider more of a psychic awareness experience. And then hopefully we'll have time to talk about all that. Um, it's interesting to me that in a way I've sort of come full circle um, around this issue. When I started out um, working as a social worker in my early 20s, um, I have a, you know, you have these events, right, that happen in your life and you look back on and you think, wow, that's how I started doing that. But they were kind of insignificant at the time. A young girl who came actually as one of my clients eventually came into the drop-in center for youth, right, when I was working. Um, and had this pack of cards. And she had just bought them in the mall, and she told me to read her fortune with them. And I said, well, whatever. You know, I have to connect, connect with these kids, right? And um, so I just looked at the directions really quickly, and it just seemed like I should just put some cards down and kind of say something about them. So I kind of did that. And um, she said, oh, that's very good. That's interesting. Now I'll do it for you. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I was taught you're supposed to be reciprocal, you know, in your therapy. <laughs> and um, she started talking about what was going on in my life and pointing to pictures of people that looked like my parents, you know, and, and an event that was about to happen soon that I was concerned about. And it kind of blew my mind. And this was just a 16-year-old girl, you know what I mean? And I don't know if it was her and her own openness and abilities or partly my openness to what was happening and to the images. But um, after that day, I drove right over to the mall and I bought a pack of tarot. <laughs> and um, some of you may have done the same around that time. It was just when this kind of stuff was coming out in, in the culture. And um, it was called the weight tech. It was very much Western European and had a bunch of knights and horses and things like that in it. Um, it's the one a lot of people started with in the 70s, actually. And I used it and used it and used it for years. I still have the deck. Um, I've used other ones since that, because as you know, if you walk into a spiritual store now, you might find 20 tarot decks. I mean, it's grown so much. Um, so that was my opening. Shortly after that, um, the whole New Age movement started. I moved to Berkeley. Make a long story short, I started studying with people around psychic awareness. And eventually started calling myself a psychic reader. 
I don't know if some of you remember, but that was happening quite a bit. That wasn't just something strange people who came to town did. I was doing it. And I was doing it off of tarot cards and other techniques, you know, that I learned to be, quote, open and aware of what was happening between me and other people when they presented questions or issues to me, to be helpful to them, right? About, um, no, I don't know what year this was. Let's say, mm, well, I met my root teacher in the late 70s. Um, so it must have been around then. I was in Boston, and another event happened. I saw a flyer with a woman teacher on it. Of course, I was a feminist. And it said something about Buddhism, and but it didn't say that so much that interested me. It said the same words. Openness, awareness, insight, understanding. Oh, I'll go to that. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, if any of you have been on a 10-day Theravada Buddhist retreat, you know, at IMS or at Spirit Rock, you probably know they're relatively silent. In those days, they were silent. I mean, nobody talked to anybody except during the Dharma talks. Um, and the whole thing totally blew my mind. I remember going down to the basement um, of IMS, which is the Insight Meditation Society outside of Boston. And um, they had a payphone. And um, I remember dialing my dyke friends in Oregon on the phone and saying, you're not going to believe where I am. <laughs> <laughs> and try and explain to them, which I could hardly do, what was going on and, and how good it was being for me. I got back to my lesbian collective house in Boston and I walked in the door and the whole place looked different to me. I mean, you know, if you've had those experiences of coming off retreat, you know, you have a deeper understanding into who these people are maybe, into how to rearrange the furniture. <laughs> Even, you know, everything looks clearer. And, and also the feeling tone, at least for me, is different. You feel more open, understanding of people. Um, and that only lasts a while, especially if you're not practicing, which I wasn't in that day. But to make a long story short, that got me connected with Ruth Dennison. And what I did was I started helping Ruth to start women's retreats in the desert. And a bunch of us lesbians used to go down there and meditate. Um, and soon, I kind of um, wasn't so interested in being a psychic reader so much anymore. Although I didn't dislike it, it just didn't happen so much. I was too busy with this new practice. And I remember one day Ruth came to me after. She was very, she's very, I hate to use the word psychic because she doesn't really like it, but she's very intuitive, let's say, about her teachings. She came to me after a sitting down in the desert and she said, darling, she was German background. Um, you know that psychic stuff you do. Don't, don't do that anymore. <laughs> and um, it just clicked. I said, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to. In fact, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, it wasn't like, don't do that. You know, it's bad or something. It was just sort of, eh, it's not really what should be happening. So I didn't do it for several years. Um, and then just about the time, maybe 10 years later, when I was starting to get back interested in it or curious about the cards again and stuff, people were asking me, Ruth <laughs> comes up to me after sitting, and she says, you know, darling, that stuff you used to do with the tarot and everything, you can do that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know why I'm telling the story, because somehow she saw or understood a kind of a growth, this is from maybe a Dharma perspective, in me that she felt 
that I was safe now, that I understood in a deeper sense of what this was I was doing and that I could be more helpful perhaps to people. The thing that I left out, I realized, was in between these two events with Ruth, near the first one where she was saying, you know, I wouldn't do that so much anymore. Um, I was having trouble doing it. People, I don't know if you've had these experiences, but people were coming to me with very serious questions. You know, like, do I have breast cancer? You know, and things like that. And I never encouraged that, and I didn't really want to go there with that kind of thing, but people, you know, are scared and they ask questions. And I did not answer these questions, you know. Um, where should I move? What should I do with my life? That was a little easier. But I really began to realize I didn't really want to answer the question exactly in that traditional sense. Certainly not make predictions. So um, I was getting a little scared. And so I think that when the Dharma presented itself to me in terms of Ruth, you know, I, I, I ran. I ran there to try to understand what was going on on a deeper level. So, um, after all that time, I have found, especially in maybe the last three or four years, a new renewed interest, you know, in and particularly uh, the, the tradition that I was the closest to, which was reading images, if you want to call it that, or looking at different images or colors or manifestations of, of um, the truth, if you want to think of that, or the truth in the moment. And curious about it, about who made these images and why they made them and how they made them, and you know, even from an artistic viewpoint. So that's where I am now. So what I'd like to tell you that what I'm talking about when I think of these examples are are things that have been with our culture for a long time, right? Things like color healing, you've probably heard of that, working with color, um, images such as these. I mean, this is an image, right? It's a very powerful, constructed, purposeful image that we are actually told, I think, in some circles of the Dharma to gaze at, you know, or to look at or to incorporate in our lives, not just because it's nice, but because it's constructed, right, in a certain way to do what? To wake us up. This is an image of an awakened being, um, part of the practice, especially in the Tibetan tradition, right, if you're familiar with that, is to use images of awakened beings that are very specifically constructed for our own understanding or awakening. So that's a long tradition in many cultures. Um, nature, of course, I won't go on and on about that. Many speakers who come here, I'm sure, talk about nature, but that's the other thing that we have in our presence constantly, talking about the Dharma principles showing us interaction, interconnectedness, right? Interrelationship. What is the change in the weather, right? If not some kind of interconnected change of which we're not responsible, well, we're getting more and more responsible for, unfortunately, because we are connected with it. But, I mean, ultimately, it does this thing, and we interact with it. And it's, it's a mystical, integrated, interconnected experience that was available to us. I wake up in the morning and I look out the window and um, I love to see what the weather is. It's, it's a kind of a practice for me. Something that teaches me something about how the elements interact and the interconnection of all things. Because we are made up of these elements. And that's the teaching. We are fire, air, earth, and water. We interact in a similar way. And many teachings play on this more. There's an actual teaching in Theravada Buddhism um, 
called the Four Elements, where you actually do meditate with fire, air, earth, and water as who you are. And you, you become in touch with them in your own body. Um, there's also the casinas. You may have heard of that in Theravada Buddhism, where um, the Buddha instructed his monks to use these examples of fire, air, earth, and water to deeply understand themselves and their environment. The one that comes to me the quickest is they were instructed to make a clay, um, just like a pancake, sort of a very soft dirt clay sphere, or more like a, a round object that's flat, and uh, meditate on it. Just stare at it again with your eyes open and meditate on it. Um, and the relationship between that, which was really earth, right, and your own earthliness. Very interesting things. Um, so all this, um, all these different examples I'm giving, the I Ching again, very strong, uh, for those of you who've worked with that um, relationship to change, the book of changes, that's what it's called, right? And the way that it uses the image, I don't know if those of you are familiar with it, but there's predictions and you're told to act certain ways, but also it'll say, the image. If you throw the coins, you get this image. <laughs> and the image is very nature-based, right? So it could be the clinging fire or the mountain, the lake on the mountain, you know, things like this, thunder on the mountain. And then they will go and tell you, interpret that. You know, therefore, you should really start talking to people more and assert yourself and, you know, or, or go home and don't do anything, you know. Um, be careful, there's warnings, um, but it's based on nature images and also a lot, I realized, reading it over yesterday, um, the weather, lake on the mountain, the joyous lake, it's another one. So I experimented with all this, right, and I worked with all this over the years. Um, also, I'm going to try to mention this one a little bit, um, what I call the relevance of place, this one's a little harder to relate to the Dharma, but um, well, I just sort of one thing. You know how some of the suttas always say, and when the Buddha goes to speak, it says, when the Buddha was in uh, Deer Park, you know, and um, his disciple so-and-so was there, he gave the speech too. Or when the Buddha was on the mountain, so-and-so. Um, so they situate him oftentimes. And I don't think that's just, I don't know, historical reference. I think these places had energy or were sacred in some kind of way, especially after people have practiced there for a long time. Caves, you know, things like that. So the relevance of place um, has always fascinated me. And I've traveled a lot, and I'm sure many of you have too. Um, so whether we're just talking about the city that we choose to call our own, like the wonderful city that we're in right now, um, or whether it's simpler things, just like a place in a park that we like a lot. Um, the Dharma and also psychic awareness brings us into relationship with place. Um, and we understand ourselves through the choices we make, right, about why we want to be in this place and not that place. Now, why I'm not in Nebraska and I'm here in San Francisco is pretty obvious. <laughs> But um, some of the things may be a little more subtle. Um, at one point I had a Puerto Rican girlfriend, and um, we lived in Puerto Rico. I lived there four years. And I was into spiritual psychic practices. And um, 
the power of islands became very, very clear to me at that time. I grew up on Long Island. You might not consider that an island, but it is one, believe it or not. Um, it is. He's falls laughing. <laughs> but it is. It's, it's a relevant thing to be surrounded by water, you know, even if it's near New York City. Um, and then I spent time in Hawaii after that. I lived in Puerto Rico. Um, I was, went to Crete recently and almost wanted to move there. And it finally dawned on me that something was going on about islands. And, you know, I could probably give a whole talk on what it was, but you get the point. Being aware of place and, and the teachings that, that that brings to you. Okay. So what does all this really have to do with Buddhism, right? You may have picked up a few references, generalities. Well, if Buddhism isn't called an awareness practice, I don't know what it's called. Right? That's actually my favorite line of all of them. You know, when I meet somebody, well, what do you do? You know? Well, I'm just trying to be more aware of who I am in the world and how I relate to people and um, be mindful of my actions. Well, all the practices we do, I think you'll agree, if you're doing meditation, bring you into a greater awareness of yourself. That's the large part of it, and how we interact with others. The concentration practices, right? If you're doing Vipassana, and you're doing breath work, or any kind of breath work, really, but particularly Anapanasati within the Buddhist tradition of Vipassana, um, you really, really get in tune with the way to focus on one object, right? It's yourself, it's your breath. But the teaching is, right? Don't allow your thoughts to distract you, right? Don't go off into la-la land, as my teacher would say. Just rest with the breath. <laughs> and we all know it's difficult to do, right? Well, that's designed for a purpose, right? To bring us into awareness. So I may want to get to know you really well, and I may want to be present with you while I'm having coffee with you. But if I can't stay there, right, because I'm so concerned about whatever that I'm not really having a good time with you, right? We're not relating. Or we're not relating deeply and, and compassionately. But if I have a technique or an awareness that I can just, come on, forget it, get with this person, get with this person, stay with the moment, especially when they say something I don't like, maybe. <laughs> you know, whoops. Um, you know, going into judgment or something. You know, rather than staying there... Um, not only do I have less of an experience that's meaningful, but I, we don't have a, a clear exchange. I don't awaken to the purposefulness of what we're doing together. And I would say I'm not very intuitive or psychic. I mean, can you kind of see the connection? Um, not that I'm trying to read my friend. It's not on that level. It's not that level anymore. It's just being there with what is, really being there with what is. So that's a one connection. Um, it's really important to think about one's motivation for all this. This is another connection. And I think that's what was troubling me in the day when I was getting these questions that were difficult to answer and I didn't really understand what I was doing. Um, so, through the Dharma, it's reinforced time and time again. What is my motivation? What is my intention for practice? Well, it's the alleviation of suffering, right? 
How many times has the Buddha, you know, they say, if there's one thing and one thing I want you to know or practice for, it's the alleviation of your own suffering and, and others, right? Oh, so this awareness is just so that I can heal. I can heal myself and I can heal other people, right? We can become happier people, nicer, better people. Um, okay, <laughs> so if I can keep that in my head, all this other awareness practice, whether it's reading tarot cards or whether it's sitting vipassana, um, I'm on the right track. So they link in that kind of way. Just reviewing the precepts briefly, taking the precepts and, and trying to practice in a more intuitive way, there's a perfect link. It's my guide. It's my pathway, right? Non-harming, right? It answers the question of, if you think you know something about somebody, you're getting a feeling about them, do you want to talk about that or not with them? Right? Is it helpful to the relationship, to you or the, them? Is that harming? Is your, are you ego-involved in wanting to tell them something? You know, or is this just more something that's meant for you? Non-harming. Um, deep listening, right, that comes off right speech. Right, that's another one. Um, well, let's talk about the intoxication one. You know, the fifth precept that says, um, we shall not take intoxicants, or um, we shouldn't overconsume because it clouds our mind, makes us less clear. I'm afraid I agree. <laughs> and that doesn't mean I don't drink a glass of wine now and then. I, I wouldn't say that, but, but when I'm really trying to be present and it, it's an, something important to me, um, even though I have used things, I'm going to what? But <laughs> other things, you know, because there's many traditions, you know, of herbs and all kinds of things that bring on um, certain kinds of awareness that are abnormal or paranormal or something. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But what I find with that, um, be interested to hear what you think, is that even though there's a flash of insight or awareness or something, it doesn't have the same staying power. Um, it's not as useful to me. And I may not remember it, <laughs> or my remembrance will be distorted. Um, and I'm not present enough to um, screen my own projections or my own ego needs that will come up. So there's a lot of dilemmas with it, let's just put it that way. Um, so I understand why Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, particularly really pushes that. And um, just for moral grounds, not taking what is not given, that precept, in other words, um, being generous, you know, that's the other side of it, um, has helped me be more open-hearted uh, towards any kind of um, readings or psychic events or things that may or may not occur in my life. Generosity towards myself and others just makes me a more open, real person, not deluded in any way about who I am and what's possible. We go to 12, right? We go to 12? We like to finish uh, maybe five or 10 minutes early. Okay. I think I'll try to talk about this a little. Um, for those of you who are familiar with Theravada Buddhism, again, um, Vipassana, there's four foundations of mindfulness, they call it. Uh, I, I look at it as four ways in. <laughs> the four pathways... Um, for seeing or understanding, and you may be very familiar with them. 
The first one's the body, or the body breath. And so many of you, I'm sure, get physical reactions, either in daily life or while you're sitting, right, pain or pleasant sensations. Um, this is meaningful, correct? I mean, that means something. Um, it can be just something physical, especially when we're sitting, you know, our leg hurts or something, our knee. But it could be more than that. It could be telling us about an uncomfortable event that we're in or a situation that we're not aware of or it could be more pleasant than we expected. So the body sensations that we're taught also, the second one, sensation, hot, cold, movement, coolness, vibration, I think of it as the vibe in the room that we pick up, um, that's not so far from some of the psychic or whatever intuitive practices that that people have taught over the years for knowledge and for understanding. Um, mind states is another one. By that we mean our emotions, our feeling state, our attitude like anger, generosity, happiness, fear, envy, calmness, all this, this kind of mind states that we, we hold, our awareness of that, right? Um, is a Vipassana practice very much about being aware of these things so that we use ourselves constructively in the world and we're healing and helpful to people and to ourselves. Um, and then thought. <coughs> thought is getting closer to images. It's interesting. Um, but awareness of our thoughts, very much, very close, right, to any kind of psychic reading practice it would have to be. You know, you walk by somebody and you think, whoa, You know, or they say something to you and you think, do they mean it that? Or, that reminds me of, or something. And you, you get kind of an insight or something into what's going on. Insight. What is Vipassana called in English? Insight meditation, right? So these are just little links that I'm, I'm trying to make. The difference being the motivation and the ethical basis that the Dharma rests on, the ethics that I mentioned, the precepts, it's full of ethics. You know, how to be a good person, how to be... If you've got that, um, and that's the way, really, Buddhism was taught in Asia. You know, if you've got the ethical, moral, if you like, way of being, then any, any practice, probably, right, is, is just fine. Because you're going to be going in the right place with it. you actually um, have done or still do in any way some of the things I've mentioned, I Ching or Tarot or something like that? Other things? Yeah, a few of you. It's not as popular as it used to be, but I like them both. And they're very safe tools, especially the I Ching. But the Tarot is as well, and, and I think it's um, very revealing. For those of you who practice Tibetan Buddhism, and you're not going to like this, I, I exaggerate sometimes. <laughs> But I was always going to say, you're doing tarot, in a sense, in that the images, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism that you practice with are, are deities. I mean, if you look at tarot, they're, they're images of gods or goddesses or people doing spiritual things, the, the major arcana, the major cards. They're all people like the hermit or the empress, who's really a goddess, you know, things like that. And you're, you're actually looking at them and, and gaining knowledge from them, right, when you sit in Tibetan practices. 
And then you actually even incorporate them into your being, if you take the empowerments, they call them. So I have trouble seeing a big difference there. I think it's in the instruction and, and the seriousness of practice. Okay. Um, how about we take about five minutes here to just do an exercise? Is that okay? And as I said earlier, um, it's meditation in the beginning that should sound very familiar to you. Um, it's just basically relaxation and openness and creating a calm mind state like we do in the Dharma often. And then after that, I will ask you to explore um, what I'm going to call the healing world of color, actually. Um, I chose that because I don't think it's too far from certain Dharma practices. And um, just be open to, to what comes. There's no right or wrong answer for sure on this one, but just, just see. Okay, let's just close our eyes for this for a moment. Very similar to the way that you would be that you would be working with the beginning of a sitting meditation. So to begin the posture, you know, just being in touch with the body, whatever is comfortable to you, relatively straight back, feeling your body on the cushion or on the chair. Feeling the support that the earth provides, just really allowing yourself to relax into her. Taking a moment to scan the body for any tension, any places that you may be holding. If you find that, see if you can just open it up a little, relax it a little. Maybe breathing to it. to ask you to allow for what I call an open or spacious mind. This is your genuine mental energy. Just seeing if you can allow for the mind to open, relax again. Create a spaciousness in the sitting. Clear and radiant. And in 
that clarity and radiance. See if you can just rest there. Thoughts arise, just let them float through like clouds in the sky. Sense of calmness, sense the openness, the expansiveness of genuine mind. When distracted, just be willing to return again to this calm abiding. Now, I'm going to ask you to see if you can participate with me in an awakening to the healing purifying energy and information within the world of color. Information and maybe even healing energy. I'm inviting you to allow yellow light to come into this space that you've created, to this genuine mind expansiveness. However that is for you is fine. If it's perceived as a ray of light, or perhaps just kind of a general feeling of yellow, whatever tone, whatever intensity, just let it come to you. flowing and alive. Seeing if you can be within this color yellow. How that is for you. Just notice. It doesn't have to be a certain way. Can you feel the aliveness of the color? Its living quality? See if anything speaks to you out of the color. We're penetrating into the elemental life of the color yellow. And it may be penetrating you as well. See if there's any kind of meaning or even form that can emerge. 
from the yellow light. Does it have a shape of any kind? And this isn't necessary, it's just an experiment. Or maybe a meaning or a motif to it. Okay. So just see if you can let go of all that now. Simply let the yellow light fade, come back to the body, the genuine mind, the clear sky mind. Just let it go, let it dissolve. Feel that openness again. Now we're going to allow for the color blue. Just invite it in to the degree it feels comfortable. In the same way. Notice any reaction, pleasant, unpleasant. Let it fill up your space, your mind and heart to the degree you feel comfortable. Can you be with the color blue? Can you feel the color's living energy? Whatever tone it is, again, it could be light blue, it could be a darker blue. And then again, does anything, does anything speak to you out of the color? any kind of um, message or um, even form or shape it's not necessary sometimes there is or some kind of theme that emerges quickly I know is just to give you a taste of this so then just again let it all go the blue light off into the atmosphere bringing that white light of clarity calm abiding the genuine open hearted mind where we began just relax And then when you're ready, you can open up your eyes. Okay, there's time for discussion. Any questions, any comments about what we just did? I'd love to hear if you can relate to it. Yes, Harvey, was it? Uh, 
It's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, my meditation focuses on my breathing. When we started that exercise, so, well, first of all, you know, like, uh, it's, I'm very much into not controlling, <laughs> you know, just kind of letting what happens happen. That's the focus of my meditation. Just whenever my distractions happen, I come back to my breath. Mm -hmm. That's the whole purpose of it. And it's kind of an analogy about how I want to live my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and when someone talks about psychic and controlling things, I cringe. It's, it seems, and then I, I try to open myself up to your exercise. And part of what happens in my meditation, my meditations are often almost, actually almost always really visual. I, mm -hmm. I, uh, I get images, I see people, I see colors, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I, you know, and I, and I notice them and come back to my breath. Uh -huh. uh, and during your exercise, you know, I was felt, you know, you know. Uh, I was still doing all those colors, but I was just kind of like, it didn't feel comfortable trying to control that to go someplace. It felt more comfortable to just be here and go where it took me. What were you trying to control? You mean well, the fact you know, I said blue you, and do blue? When you talked about open space, uh -huh. I didn't know what to do with that. You know, <laughs> or what does that mean? And, mm -hmm. and I started bringing it down to an intellectual level. Yeah, right. And then when you talked about, you know, the yellow, you know, like, Aside from images of people, I get images of people a lot, but also I always tend towards blue. Uh -huh. And when we started talking yellow, I was just trying to see it felt strange to try to force the yellow. Right, and, so there's no reason to force right. it. And so, so I just kind of withdrew from that and just let what happens happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt much more comfortable with that. And, 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 and that was a good exercise for me in the sense that it, it reinforced my sense of going where it takes me and not allowing it to try and push it. Great. Good. Thank you. Yes. I want to ask you something about your psychic perceptions. I'm just curious if to, when you have them, do they, do you know them? Do you come to like know them? Do you, do you just like read it? Like it's, you don't know it, but it's there before you or? Well, it's different for everyone, or? right? You know, remember the old teaching of clairsentience, clairvoyance, and clairaudience, right? So hearing clearly, I mean, this, clearly, what are we supposed to get in the Dharma? Clarity, you know, so hearing clearly, seeing clearly, feeling or sensing clearly. So it's different for different people. I think it evolves differently. Uh, right now for me, um, it seems to be more like ideas and thoughts. It seems like I get these ideas and... Um, they're based on things that have happened. They're sort of con conglomerations of things that aren't logical, but somehow they appear, and sometimes there's an image with them. And they're usually things that I should pay attention to or do or get involved in or something. Um, I think the word psychic is very troublesome, and I because it does. It used to be very much about controlling people and controlling things and making things happen. That's not what I mean by that. But I use the word because I don't want to be afraid of it, really. It's just that... It's an intuitive knowing of things. And then what you do about it is the whole game. You know, it's not so much that you know something, you know, really. Well, who cares? You know? <laughs> it's how you handle it. That's the hard part. And that's why I think the Dharma is so important. Yeah, Jim. Uh, thank you for a wonderful uh, talk. I, um, I was reminded uh, years ago when I was sort of 
get an answer to all of them. <coughs> in the early 70s, uh, I read Evelyn Hunterfield's book on uh, Christian mysticism oh. and the lives of the mystics, and she talked about how um, after their initial sort of initiation experience, they had a, a vast increase of um, psychic awareness um, after they began their sort of practice, their journey, <coughs> and they had to put like blinders on yeah. and go through the temptation to power mm -hmm. of that, and that if you followed that, you would go into magic, and that was about, mm -hmm. about power. But this, their path was about love. Mm -hmm. But at the completion of their long journey. Whenever they needed to know something, they knew something. <laughs> and their love was influenced by this as well. Absolutely. That's that's the interesting part. What they knew, I think, I mean, I don't know that much about the Christian mystics, but what you know is how to be more skillful, how to be more compassionate, how to be more loving. You know, you know it intuitively. But also pra pragmatically. I mean, uh, one of the great Italian mystics was a, a political consultant just because she got what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, she, was, she was a resource <laughs> after the years of meditation. So it was yeah, very yeah. yeah, and I can understand how they had to close down yeah, because that's so yeah. right. Because I think one, I don't know if you meant that by control, mm -hmm. but that's where the word psychic mm -hmm. and control and ego and all that gets mixed up. Because if you know something, then you feel like you have to use it or do it and be better than someone else and all the rest of it. It's not about that at all, but it's kind of mind blowing when it happens, like you describe. Oh, you know. <laughs> it's just another thing. Yes, anybody else? Oh, you must have something to say. Should I pick on somebody? When you asked. Oh, okay, who's that? No, you can go. Go green. <laughs> when you asked uh, what the colors were saying to us, yeah. um, I, I received specific direction for uh, what's up for me right now in my life. And uh, I, I embraced it. I really appreciated it. Oh, good. Good. Well, was the yellow or the blue more instructive? <laughs> okay. The yellow said jump. <laughs> and the blue said take rest. Ah, and you can do both, right? Oh, how interesting. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, yes, Paul, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, it was really, I'm very tired, and sometimes when I'm really tired, my resistance goes down in a good way. Mm. And uh, so I imagine, I actually imagine gold to yellow. Mm. And uh, uh, oftentimes, I guess I wanted to be like a, this This was like a big thing that came in on top of my forehead. <laughs> Just made me feel so relaxed. And you know, what I got from it was my the preciousness of myself, mm. you know, because I often disregard that. And gold is a very precious metal. Right. I mean, if you look at it that way, those are the associations you can start right. to make with these things. And then how do you in real life really feel about gold? Do you ever wear anything gold? Would you even dare to do such a thing? I mean, you know, some of this translates into practical life, like ritual. That's almost ritual, right? Okay, I'm going to wear this gold bracelet because I value myself. I mean, that's maybe going too far. You get the idea. You know, at least having a, a yellow flower around or something. I don't know. Interesting stuff. We have just a couple more minutes, yes? This, this is, what I was thinking of, and this is not, not It's Lee, about, right? Lee. Lee. About the colors, though, I found that interesting mm -hmm. also. But about the earlier stuff that you were talking about, about uh, psychic issues, which I've been you know, probably 
skeptical about, but when you put it in the framework of wider connection, yeah. it fits more. And I just read something this morning and had some other experiences yesterday. Uh, the New York Times Magazine section has a uh, article on social contagion, which I would strongly recommend to everyone. And what it's about very briefly is how uh, behavior of your friends, friends, friends have a significant probability of affecting your behavior. So if they probably heard some of the popular stuff around it, if they get fatter, you're more likely to get fatter and vice versa. Uh, and yesterday I spent the day in a uh, workshop on reading micro-emotional expressions that last one-fifth to one-thirtieth of a second. Very interesting. Paul Ekman's work. Mm -hmm. um, and, so the, and then the third piece about going on retreat. So one, one question, one thing that people worry about the first time they do this is, oh my god, I'll be bored out of my mind. <laughs> and what we start to do is discover what enormous amounts of stuff there is that's going on that we, we yeah. Aren't consciously aware, so it may be that the psychic piece is, you know, picking up some of that information, which is really there, and if we could do it, we could point it out, but we aren't aware of it consciously. Yeah, it's about knowing. If you just want to say knowing, I think we should dump the word because it's really, um, it's really dangerous in the way it's been used. But I just want to honor the fact that a lot of good traditions also have used that word, you know, and haven't really misused it. But yeah, there's a vast knowingness of what's going on inside of us, around us constantly. And that's what awareness practice is really about, I think. That's what mindfulness generates in us, more awareness of what's really going on. Um, and leads you to the right article at the right time, I think. <laughs> I do, because there's a connection to all these things. You, hasn't that happened to you? You go and get your hair cut somewhere, and you sit down, you pick up a magazine, they're not ready for you. Oh, my God. You know, this is just what I was thinking, you know, or just what I was reading. Just call it the interconnection of all things. That's fine. That's, that's a more Dharma way of thinking about it. But know that you noticed that. Know that you didn't just throw the magazine down and didn't realize that that was related to something. That that might be significant that you happen to pick up that magazine and not the other magazine, you know, or that you might have picked it up and not turned to that page. So you're on to something. This is meaning for you, you know. I think we're going to have to stop, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Will you hang out? With us? Sure, I'll be around. Mm -hmm. Are there any uh, announcements? Yes. The Rainbow Symphony is playing again next Saturday night at the Conservatory of Music. The Warjack's Eighth Symphony and Mount Honor Mouse Variations on a theme by Panganini with Dan Glover, pianist, not to be confused with Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Other announcements? You're the host? I'm the host. Okay, go ahead and be your host. There's uh, some things to eat and help yourself to tea and make sure you clean your cup with soap and water. <coughs> and uh, there's a donut bowl um, and suggested donations are five to eight dollars if that speaks to you. And uh, people meet at around 12.30 afterwards to head out to lunch. Some people do that. And um, newsletter. Newsletter. There's a newsletter out there. Yeah. There's a newsletter on the sign up sheet. There's a newsletter on the sign up sheet on Cadenza. Yeah. If people are up to you on the mailing list. Okay. Jim? Yeah, if you, um, like from January to June, 
signed up um, to get the email, and you're, uh, we, we, we've had a break in our chain. Um, sign up again because um, the names didn't get set. Um, so you didn't get officially invited to join the, the Yahoo group uh, chat us. Um, you can or you can just go to the website and yeah, join them. You can do it yourself. Um, also, we are um, reviewing and aesthetically uplifting our website. And if you have taken photographs in your life or you know of images that are um, uh, potent and beautiful and significant to you, um, these of you who did this fellowship, um, please um, get them to us and, and we're going to try and fit them in at different places. Any other announcements? Okay. Yeah. Carol, a delight Thank you. to have you here again. Wow, um, too far between uh, visits from you. Send our greetings to your son, Thank also. you. Our speaker next week will be uh, the Sunday here. So as we gather next week, we'll break into small groups and uh, discuss questions that are raised by the facilitator or whatever's working you in your life and the Dharma. And, uh, and next week, uh, major portion of our Sangha will be off on retreat. So I've asked Carol and Jay to help facilitate a, a merit ceremony for you as you end, as you go your way for next week. So as we, let's gather in a circle. If you're going on the retreat next week, could you gather in the center of the circle? And if you're not going to be on the retreat, then be on the outside. So as often um, is done at the end of... Uh, Buddhist meeting or Buddhist teaching, we dedicate the merit, which simply means we send the energy, we offer prayers and blessings based on what we practiced that morning and the good will and the good energy raised to sentient beings everywhere. And this morning, we're going to concentrate on our brothers in the center of the circle, whose intention is to go off on retreat next weekend. May they be happy about this. <laughs> may, may they be uh, compassionate towards themselves and uh, their experience. May they awaken in whatever way is necessary and um, helpful to them. And may they also um, benefit greatly from their own experience and share those benefits with all they need on their path when they leave. Would anyone else like to offer any blessings or prayers or well wishes to them? May your love for each other deepen. God save me. So all these wishes for the benefit of our brothers in the center of the circle, for ourselves, and for all beings everywhere. May we all be happy, may we all be at peace, and may we all awaken to our highest potential.
Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.